Hello, my name is James, and welcome back to The Basement Tapes. Uh, this is a podcast where we listen to a set of uh, mystery tapes left in a tin in my late granddad's basement. I apologise that it's been a little while since last episode. Uh, some people advised me to spend a little less time in the basement, but uh, they're gone now. So I'm back, we're back, I'm back down here in the basement with my uh, cup of tea. I'm very, very excited uh, to be back with all you uh, tapirs, uh, fans of the basement tapes as opposed to the South American mammal. Uh, but today's tape, today's mystery tape is uh, Fleetwood Mac's Go Your Own Way. Uh, it's probably not actually that, it's probably a bizarre story, so let's pop it in and find out. Black or white, a black or white, a black or white. The underground rattled overground for the best part of Maya's journey. For once she was grateful her asshole boss had called her in late. It meant there was something more to the streets than disinfected white. Nighttime invited variation from the neon street lights, shadows, and in between shades. Faraway high rises loomed like concrete golems, watching with blinking halogen yellow eyes the empty streets below. The clip clip of Maya's boots echoed through the ticket hall at Farringdon. It had been a month, and still the ten-foot LED screen scrolled his name and picture, interrupted only by Voxpot eulogies and pre-written obituaries. Maya no longer noticed the emptiness of her apartment walls. The vast expanses of naked chrome yearned after the posters, flyers, and canvas prints which had once filled them. But Maya was happy enough to pretend that that was the way they had always been. She had a shoebox under her wardrobe, and that was enough. The walk to the office was deserted, peppered only by occasional lights and occasional windows. The sign of other poor sods being dragged in for yet another, can you just rewrite the whole thing if it's not too much trouble? She had only just scanned in at reception when her phone pinged. Grace and Blunt, 2. Hermione 3. Subject, see me, my office, now, sent from my iPhone 26 white. What's this? said Grace and Blanc, gesturing to his screen. Mayo caught his gaze and held it there. The obituary, she said. Grayson shifted, agitated, the voluminous skirts of his BVC dress squeaking against his chair. Mayo watched as his jaw locked and unlocked several times before he spoke. This, he said finally, this is the obituary. The obituary. He shook his head. No, no, no. This is not the obituary. This is... Well, frankly, I don't know what the fuck this is. I asked for a brand-approved homage to the face of the single largest artistic corporation in the world. Whatever this is you've given me... Grayson held Maya's gaze like a gorgon with a bleach buzz cut instead of snakes. Did not happen. Maya straightened the white page memo tablet on Grayson's desk. This is what he was. It would be an insult to his memory not to publish it. She waited a moment before playing her trump card. It's exclusive. Grayson twitched. Mayo knew he had a nose for what would sell, and she had just handed him the nuclear codes of the zine industry. And Grayson knew it. <sighs> Rewrite it, for fuck's sake shorten it, and I'll think about it. Thanks. Mayo turned to let herself out. Ziri? Yes? You write this as Miss Vanter. It does not come back to me. Zeitgeist can take the hit, but if you so much scratch your gash in my direction, I will throw you under the bus without hesitation. Where White Star is concerned, Mayo Zuri does not exist. Yes, Grayson. 
The zeitgeist offices were almost empty. Endless rows of empty fiberglass pods splayed out like rays from Grayson Blanc's office. They were nearly identical, save for the single personal item permitted per pod. Mayo's had been a framed photograph. Now that photograph was gone. She sat at her desk and waved the screen to life. Hi there, Mayo. It said. I am sorry. I did not see you there. I must have gone to sleep. No worries, Ron. Can you find me the Black Star file? Of course. A hefty document filled the screen. Would you like any help editing, Mayo? No, you're right. I'll let you know when I'm stuck. In that case, do you mind if I perform some routine diagnostics? Knock yourself out. Shuffling into a more comfortable position, Mayo focused her eyes and braced herself for the night ahead. Interview with White Star. Hermione Fury, Zeitgeist, 6 July 2053. He sits across from me. Lepidiota white that makes the recliner look beige. Up close, it's easy to see what causes the obsessions, the hysterical fans. Much like the jellyfish in the tank behind him, he is translucent, mesmerizing. Tonight, he is showcasing the latest Van Strine collection, a heavy-duty PVC tarpaulin suit in white offset by grey shoes of the same material, laser-cut with delicate skull designs. He positions one leg daintily over before we get started, can I just say it's a real honour to meet you. I've been a fan for so many years and your work, it's inspired me in ways I can't begin to explain. He smiles tightly. It was the wrong thing to say. Sure. Would it be possible to get your thoughts on the recent Kapoor versus Sample settlement, Mr. Whitestar? He thinks, curling the tip of his bleached quiff around one finger. A single piece of Kapoor sculpture is worth more than Sample's entire estate. Semple's got no business sharing patented material with other artists. I say, let Mr. Kapoor keep his pigment and be done with it. I do not tell him those were the exact words used by the CEO of his main sponsor during an interview last week. Anything else to add? It's just that when you were starting out, you said art was for everyone, and that corporations were eating away freedom of expression. What changed? Hair curls tighter around the finger. I think I've said all that needs to be said. Let's move on to the main questions. Of course. Shall we talk about the project you're working on at the moment? The one with the White Star Company? Yes, he sighs. I expect he's been asked this a thousand times already, but I have to start somewhere. It's a piece of avant-garde theatre called Whiteface, produced by the creative team at the White Star Company and brought to viewers through their recently released home cinema system White Noise that's trademarked. It combines the surrealism of Kabuki with cutting-edge entertainment technology. It will be available to purchase by the end of the month. It seems there's nothing you haven't done, Mr. White Star. Film star, pop star, Marvel star, porn star. That's quite incredible. I've been provided many opportunities by the White Star Company. I want to ask him something else to alleviate the pained expression on his face, but I can't. I have to stick to the script. Is there anything in the pipeline to follow Whiteface? While we're touring it, the creative team will be working on the next project. Touring it? But I thought Whiteface was a cinema release. We'll be touring the White Noise system globally. We've already got several major international companies interested in purchasing it. This is going nowhere. I brave the next question. The jellies pulse mindlessly in front of me. Why don't we talk about Greystar? The translucent grip on the recliner arm tightens. We all make mistakes when we're young. I was fortunate the White Star Company was still wanting to sign me in the wake of it. But Greystar was a success. 
He brought you to the attention of the White Star Company in the first place. Surely it would make sense to talk about He's opening the door to the apartment by the time he cuts me off. Grey Star is dead. I have nothing more to say on the matter. The jelly sinks to the bottom of the tank. He's not bothering to conceal his desire for me to leave. What is your name? Hermione Zuri. Homer or Shakespeare? Rowling, actually. I think I catch the remembrance of a smile. Mayo broke away from the screen and unfuzzed her eyes. Ron blinked. Everything all right there? Yeah, fine thanks. Need me to order you something in? When was the last time you ate? This morning, probably. Is Chinese okay? There is a great place I know that delivers until three. Sure. I will get your usual. Anacanalil. No problem. Taking care not to get any on her keyboard, Mayo slathered little pancakes in hoisin sauce before delicately layering in shreds of spring onion, cucumber, and mock duck. She didn't consider herself particularly neat or delicate, but when it came to wrapping food in other food, she was an artist. She was only half a bite in when Grayson decided to make an entrance. With makeup freshly applied and platforms swapped out for a pair of white stilettos, he actually looked less tacky than usual. Stopping a good six feet from Mayo's desk, he glared at the array of fried goods. Done then, are we? Mayo shook her head and finished her mouthful, chewing like a mime artist and waving her hand in front of her face to show maximum consumption effort. Swallowing, she sighed dramatically, as if she was just as annoyed as Grayson that she had to eat in order to survive. Not yet. I'm getting there, though. I should hope so. I don't pay for you to eat. He finished with a final glare and made his exit. What did I miss? The usual. It's date night, so he didn't give too much of a shit. Is he still with the loaded one from Primrose Hill? Maybe. Can't say I care that much. Suit yourself. Are you ready to carry on? Mayo mumbled, and Ron slid open the refrigeration compartment at the bottom of her desk. The drawer felt too warm, and Mayo had to give it a good thump before it buzzed back to life. She stored the remainder of her meal and dragged her eyes back to the screen. Interview to interview with. First interview had gone so badly I'd not expected to hear from him again. But two days later, I get a call. It's from a private number, nothing connected to the White Star offices. You wanted to know about Grey Star, he says. There's someone I'd like you to meet. The address he sends surprises me. The top floor of a terraced house in South London. Hardly the Hollywood highs that the White Star Company is buying up all over the city. It makes a change from the aesthetically shabby warehouses where most art conferences, or exploratory discussion spaces if you're in the trade, take place. I pick my way past a few overflowing wheelie bins and examine the labels next to a pair of doorbells. Neither of them are particularly illuminating, but I figure it probably isn't Mrs. Douglas. The other label doesn't have a name, only a scribbled drawing of a five-pointed star filled in with black biro. I press the bell and wait. A woman, I assume Mrs. Douglas, answers the door. It's all I can do not to stare at the shit show of colour she's wearing. I don't remember the last time I saw so many together at once. It makes me nauseous. She eyes me warily. Can I help you? She says. I'm looking for... Who am I looking for? The other tenant. Is he in? She gives me the once over. Are they expecting you? I nod. I'll give him a knock then. The woman opens the door wider to let me in. They're upstairs, doesn't like answering the door, she says. I follow her through a tight corridor into an even tighter dining room. The vomiting technicolour continues. Endless paintings, throws and bric-a-brac sing and scream at me from their precarious pedestals of books and old records. On one side of the dining room is an enormous print of half-naked men with comically undersized penises holding a half-naked blue woman. 
I squint to read the words running through it. Art is no better or important today than in the days of cave painting. Our worthless lives must always end in death, an awful truth that like sex we hide from children and I can't paint to save my life, yours or anyone else's. On the other side of the room is a closed door. Do you like Rob Ryan? says the woman, noticing my interest in the print. I don't really know. She laughs before knocking on the door. Got a young lady to see you, love, she calls. A familiar voice embraces me from behind the white painted wood. Send her up, Mrs. D. The woman opens the door, revealing two staircases running in opposite directions. I'm instructed to climb the one to my right. This is it. It's really happening. I'm about to meet Greystar, my hero in all his former glory. I can hear footsteps at the top of the stairs, beyond another door, open this time. They're louder, clumpier than the effortless glide afforded by the pair of skull patterned Van Strines. By the time I've stepped through the doorway, the only thing I can think of is how to get out again. I can't do this, Ron. Maya's screen blinked. You could send it to someone else. See if they would print the original version. You know that's not it. I know. Ron minimised the document and filled the desktop with gently undulating monochrome patterns. How about a bit of fresh air? Then come back and finish it. Maya ran her fingers through her hair, relishing the feel of sticky, oily product rubbing off against them. It was getting on for half past one. If I leave, she said, I won't come back. I have to do this. Not if it is putting you under this amount of stress. The interviews are great. Who cares what Grayson thinks? This isn't about Grayson. Ron replaced the shifting patterns with the document. Are you sure you want to do this, Mayo? No. I noticed the bunches before anything else. Messy, uneven, not an ounce of care gone into their arrangement. It's hard to tell whether they're the real thing or hiding the white quiff I had so admired before. The lipstick is as slapdash as the hair, a pink-red smear like an office party wine stain. As for the rest, the flowery leggings, frumpy blouse, holy trainers, I bite my tongue to keep from cringing. He smiles, totally aware of my reaction. His front teeth are tipped pink from the lipstick. It's good to see you again, Hermione. He says. I try to ignore the teeth. It's just Mayo, I say, looking for somewhere to sit. I'm shown to a soft blue egg chair, stuffed with tie-dye cushions. I ignore it in favour of a fold-away wooden stool. My subject takes the egg chair, lounging like a Wildean fop in drag. This isn't my grey star, my idol. This is... I don't know what this is. You wanted to meet Greystar, he says. But I wasn't lying when I said he was dead. I'd like you to meet Blackstar. He holds my gaze in challenge. I didn't want this. The record button on my white page glares at me. I tap it with a sense of dread. Would you like to introduce yourself, Mr. Whitestar? I'm not Whitestar. What are you then? He smiles again, wider this time, before firing away a pre-prepared response. I'm not a gangster. He says. I'm not a film star. I'm not a pop star. I'm not a Marvel star. I ask again. What are you? The smile vanishes, giving way to an earnestness I've not seen before. I'm not a flam star. I am not a porn star. I'm not a wandering star. I wait. It doesn't seem worth asking anymore. My subject stands, ignoring me in favour of an old record player. I haven't seen one of those outside my grandmother's living room. He plucks a black 45 from a black sleeve and sets it under the needle. We sit and listen in radio silence. 
Arrhythmic flutes and strings wail through the spiralling grooves, pumped out by palpitating drum beats and clawed by spasms of sax. It spins and it spins and it spins, and I know, without looking, that I'm being observed. An office light flickered in time with the pulsing headache Maya felt developing behind her left eye. I need to get out of here, Ron. Do you want me to call you a cat? I'm alright, thanks. The walk will do me good. Maya stretched and twisted around her chair until her spine cracked back into place before shrugging on her jacket and making for the exit. Ron's voice piped up through her headphones as she stepped into the lift. Will you be coming back? Probably. She unplugged her headphones and had shoved them in her pocket before Ron had a chance to protest. The main reception doors were locked, so Maya took the lift down to the basement and let herself out by the bins. A crowd of occupied sleeping bags filled the spaces between each set, fetal and silent. On any other day, Maya would have ignored them, taking the side alley that led to the main road in her tube stop. This morning, she acknowledged them, walking quietly past row after row like a visitor at an exhibition. A few heads squinted in her direction, turning away upon seeing no police uniform. Maya's walk took her through everywhere that was called round the back, through the bins and the skips and the empty car parks. There was little to see by round the backs of places, save an automatic floodlight here and there which cast its surroundings in a motley of street cat grey, but mostly it was dark and full of thrown away things. So lost in losing herself, Maya would have fallen headfirst into the river had the railings not socked her one in the face. A nearby bench provided some notion of stability, and Maya decided that was the best for her right now. The river shone and shifted like black glass being blown into rippling sheets. Black. So black. The blackest black. So what are you going to do with this interview? The music continues unabated in the background, and I wonder how it's going to affect the quality of the recording. Publish it, most likely, alongside our first interview. I would rather you didn't. No, let me rephrase that. I would rather you didn't just yet. Give it a couple of months, and if you still want to by that point, go ahead. I won't stop you. I'm completely lost. He's as cryptic now as he was the first time round. Why? He gives me a smile that doesn't reach his eyes. I can't give everything away, Hermione. The river lap, lap, lapped against the concrete bank. Maya learned of his death the month after that final interview. That was the day the pictures in her apartment, already covered up by sheets, came down for good. Most she threw or sold, but one, the one that had lived on her desk, she kept in a shoebox under her wardrobe. On the solitary bench, Maya untangled her headphones and plugged them back in. Ron? Are you okay? I'm stuck. What do you need? Still the river lapped, dark and soothing and unknown. It's okay, it said. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'd like you to delete the Black Star file. Ron tried to reason with her, to make her put herself and her career first, but Maya drowned him out. She pulled out her white page and skipped through until she found it, turning up full volume. A voice filled her head. Something happened on the day you died. Spirit rose a meter and stepped aside. Somebody else took his place and bravely cried. I'm a black star. I'm a black star. Uh, yeah, that was, um... I was going to say I don't know what to make of that one, but I never know what to make of any of them, really. Uh, it's a weird thing. 
when somebody dies because at the funeral you hear uh, all kinds of stories about the sort of person they were uh, you know before you knew them like uh, my granddad has only ever been an old man in all the time that I knew him but um, nobody really prepared me for finding something like this and uh, I'm no closer to explaining it after all this time and maybe no one's listening uh, but, but you are my uh, my tape ears uh, I'm going to stick with that I'm going to get us badges um, but I want you to know that it really makes me feel better uh, to know that you guys are listening um, I'm spending another night in the basement uh, obviously but I think it's time uh, as always this podcast was uh, directed and produced by Gabby Corey Mead and Joel Walsh I am obviously spending another uh, night in the basement uh, I hope you all sleep well and I hope you have good dreams.